Okay, today we finish our uh, The Great I Am series, Rediscovering the Names and Attributes of God. And it's been a really, really enjoyable sermon series for, for Treb and I, I think in large part because every week we're just studying a new attribute about who God is. And I just want to read through these names that we've studied real quick. I tried to memorize these, but I kept missing a few, and then I figured just write it down because I'm just a human. So here's what we've studied since May 15th. I am who I am, Yahweh. Elohim, God the creator. Just listen to these names and try to recall what he's taught you this summer. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Looking at Genesis 22. Adonai, the Lord God. Abba, Father. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Roy, the God who sees. Jehovah Rapha, God the healer. And then we shifted from, we were mainly dealing with, uh, with texts in the Old Testament, and then we shifted to, to mainly dealing with the New Testament and the person of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, Emmanuel, God with us, Wonderful Counselor, the Word of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, the light of the world, the Son of man, the Lamb of God, and today the Alpha and the Omega. And as we've studied these things, we've we haven't discovered anything that God hasn't already revealed to us about himself through the word. We're not making new things up. That's why we put rediscovering in there. Because God's already revealed all these names in the Bible to us. But if anything at all is absorbed as we've taught through this, it's that there is a God who is real and that he can be known. And so as, as we study this, this final name of, of God, the Alpha and the Omega, it's going to feel a little kind of ethereal out here, and we're going to try to trace the thread through some of the Old Testament and then find, of course, in the book of Revelation. But I want the, the whole weight of this thing to be this. There is a God. He is real. He has redeemed us, and he can be known. Not just up here in my brain, but he can be experienced in life. And he is, he is not meant to just be a, a, an intellectual experience that we have but the experience of the entirety of our being, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So before we dive into the text, let's pray, and uh, then we'll see where the Lord takes it. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful to you that you just love us, and that you've given us your word, and that you can teach us and rebuke us and, and train us and encourage us and, and, and give us knowledge of who you are and and. Gosh, I'm just so grateful to you, Lord Jesus, for, for redeeming us. Thank you for the opportunity we get to be here today to worship you together in community. That as a community that we can call upon the name of the Lord, that we would constantly be called back to you as you reveal yourself to us and we learn who you are, that we would surrender our hearts and our lives to you and service to you. I want you to take a minute as we do this every week, I want you to pray that the Lord would just teach you something. Ask him, ask him to teach you something true about him. And as we say this every week, we want to be in the habit of praying for other people. So pray for someone beside you, maybe your spouse, maybe it's a friend that you brought, maybe it's, a, it's somebody that you just met. Pray for them that God would teach them something that he would encourage them, challenge them, and reveal more of himself to them today. Lord, we come to you this morning asking for your help. 
to understand who you are as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As we study your word, would your spirit teach us, reveal to us how we need to think rightly about you and how our lives need to align with the truth of who you are. But more than that, Lord, would you overwhelm us with who you are, overwhelm us with your majesty and your greatness, that you who are so magnificent would love us and would die for us, that you think so highly of us as to call us your children. Overwhelm us with your love today, Lord Jesus. In your risen and exalted name we pray. Amen. So, um, we'll mainly be in the book of Revelation today, which is where that, that the name Alpha and Omega comes from primarily. But in order to do that, if you've ever read Revelation and find it entirely confusing, it's because it's at the end of the Bible because the assumption is that you've read the other five, 65 books in front of it. So if you've ever read Revelation and like, I have no idea what's talking about it and you didn't read the 65 books in front of it, my encouragement to you is read and study those books and then Revelation will make slightly more sense to you. But it is a big book. And there's a lot of things in there that I don't understand. But it is connected to the rest of the Word of God. So when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation, he's not just pulling these things out of thin air. So one of the things that we've done with these names, especially with the names of Jesus, is we've traced them back through the Old Testament into where he declared them in the New Testament, connecting Jesus, as he rightfully is, as, as the, the second person of the Godhead, of the Trinity, to the one true God. We are Christians, which means we believe in a triune God, that there is one God in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as we, he has revealed himself to us through the word of God, we get glimpses and, and, and more of a fullness of this. But it is an incredible mystery that I don't know that humankind will ever fully comprehend. But as he has encouraged and, and written the word through people, inspiring prophets and, and poets to write, he's revealed some things about himself. And in the book of Isaiah chapter 44, he, uh, he says this. So Isaiah was written you know, about 700 years before Christ, and he was a prophet who was coming to tell the nation of Israel that they had, really at that time, the nation of Judah, that they were, this was it, that their, uh, their rebellion against the Lord had come to an end, and he was going to bring them into exile. And it is an incredibly deep and wonderful book, Isaiah 40, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And he says this in Isaiah 44, after, after encouraging uh, Jacob, Israel, that, that he has chosen them, that they were not just some kind of accident. He says this in verse 6, Isaiah 44, 6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. There's lots of names in there too. He says this, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people. And then what is yet to come? Yes, let him foretell what will come. Have you ever uh, met somebody who tried to tell you what was going to happen? They're all liars. They don't know. Unless they're God, they don't know the future. And he says, yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There is no other rock. I know not one. So in this passage He's giving this comfort to his people as their king and their redeemer. 
He says, I am the first and the last. So remember that phrase, because we're going to turn to it in a minute. Then he says, apart from me, there is no what? God. There is a God. There is one true God, and this is who it is. He is the first and the last. Israel's king, the redeemer, the Lord Almighty. And then he says, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. There, he is giving here the ex exclusivity of his nature. He is absolutely and utterly unique. There is no one like him. There is no one equal to him. There is but one God. And he is the first and the last. So if we turn also to a few more chapters over to Isaiah 48. This is 48, 12. Isaiah is a big book. Man, it's a great book. Okay, it'd be really cool to preach through Isaiah. That would take us like seven years. We would never finish. Okay, so uh, 48, 12, it says, Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. So as the first and the last, he's claiming to be the creator of all of creation. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. And then he says, when I summon them, they all stand up together. Not only is he the creator, but he is the sustainer and the Lord of all of creation. So this title, I am the first and the last, is not only associated with, with this exclusivity to deity, I am the one true God, but also I am the God who created and sustains the entire universe. So knowing that, we're going to jump clean ahead to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 1, then we're going to jump to the last chapter of Revelation. So, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, that the first five words of the book of Revelation are what gives us the whole context of the book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation reveals something to us about Jesus. It reveals Christ to us. So as you read through the book and you have questions in the book and you're trying to figure out, and if you're trying to chart it and outline it, like, Lord be with you. And then, but it's revealing Jesus. So the fact that it's overwhelming should not be a surprise. And he says this, uh, this is in, Verse 4, we're going to read through about verse 8 in chapter 1. So it, it was a letter that the Apostle John wrote. He's on the island of Patmos, and he gets a, a vision, and he gets a revelation, and he writes it down. And so it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. So who was, who is, excuse me, who exists now in the present, who was, who existed in the past, and who was to come, who in the future yet exists, right? Still exists. Who is it that is not bound by time? It's God. Grace and peace to you from God, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is very Trinitarian, if you see it in here. But who is he talking about? Who is the grace and peace coming from? Well, it's coming from God, who exists outside of time. It's coming from Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then we keep reading, it says, To him who loves us, who is this him? And he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Oh, that's Jesus. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests. So 
we are supposed to be a kingdom, which means we are a group of people who are under the reign of a king. And we're supposed to be priests. That means we minister spiritually to other people. And to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So this is, to him who loves us, freed us from our sins by his blood, and has commanded us the kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be what? Glory and power forever and ever. So John's saying, yes, to him be glory forever. Amen. And then he says, look, and you remember this back to the, uh, our study of the Son of Man. Look, he, who? The him who loves us and has been freed, Jesus, has freed us from his sins by his blood. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. This is heavy stuff. And your mind may be swimming. You're like, who's talking? And who is saying this here? Who is this? Well, let's just stay confused because look at verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who says that? The Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So who says I'm the Alpha and the Omega? The Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come? The Almighty. Only God says I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That he is the originator and terminator of all things. I know I cannot think of the word terminator without thinking about the movies. But it's just there's no way to get it out of my mind. So, but he is the originator and the terminator of everything. Do you understand that? Everything has its beginning and its end in God. Nothing begins and nothing ends that he does not have absolute sovereign control over. Nothing. Nothing at all. And sovereign control means this. The word sovereignty kind of gets bounced around, but it has to do with authority. God asks no one for permission. I want you to think about a, a king of old. He did not have a group of people that he had to get approval for to do something. He just did it because he was the king. Jesus is the king and the ruler of all the kings of the earth. He is the king of all the kings who ever were and whoever will be. And he has absolute sovereign authority. He asks no one for permission. So let's keep reading. In verse 17, he says this. I'm going to go back and get some context. So was, there's John. Who's, poor John. He went through a lot. Just remember, this is the same John that, like, that, that leaned back on Jesus at the Last Supper, right? He had an intimate relationship with Jesus. He knew him. He knew the sound of his voice. He knew what Jesus smelled like. Can you imagine that? Gosh. He had probably heard Jesus' heartbeat. Man, he knew the color of Jesus' hair. He says in verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, and his head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And you can go in there and pick out, what does all these mean? What do the seven stars mean? I'm going to tell you, in verse 17, is the only proper response to seeing this person. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is John who saw the risen Christ, who saw the transfiguration, who saw Jesus in his glory. And he sees Jesus now, and he falls down like a dead man. What does Jesus do? He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. 
This is what God does. When we, are, when we approach his glory and his majesty and we fall down in worship and are terrified of him, he tells us not to be afraid and he touches us. And he says, I am the first and the last. Remember back to Isaiah? I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. This is Jesus. Very different Jesus than John knew. The same Jesus who looks wildly different. And what does he say? I'm the God in Isaiah. That's what he's saying to John. I am the first and I'm the last. Okay, now we're going to skip forward to Revelation 21. We're going to skip over all the parts you want me to talk about. So, just kidding. I mean, I'm not. I'm I'm kidding that you want. Anyway, whatever. We're skipping over it. So, here we go. Revelation 21. We don't have that much time. Um. So we'll be in 21. Well, I've got to give context. We're just going to be in verse 1. Start in verse 1. We're going to go through here in a minute. So the context of this is that the judgment has come. Armageddon is over. Satan has been doomed. The dead have been judged. These are the last two chapters of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heavens had passed, and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And what will happen when that happens? Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. This is John looking forward to what's called uh, theologically the eternal state. When creation is remade and sin is no longer there. And he who was seated on the throne said this, I am making all things new. Who sits on the throne? Like if you know your Bible, there's a throne, there's a throne of David. Jesus is on the throne. And he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I almost get this picture that John sees these things and Jesus is like, hey John, but I need you to write this stuff down, okay? Write it back down, right? And uh, the whole point is you write this stuff down, it's a letter, I need you to send it to people. So write it down, get back to work. And in verse six, he says, he said to me, it is done. What is done? What is done at this point is the completion of the redemptive arc of God's plan in history. It is done. What was begun in Genesis as a a, a perfect, sinless creation, then sin entered and broke everything in the fall in Genesis chapter 3. The rest of this book has been the redemptive arc of God's redemption, his salvation, his rescue of his creation and his beloved people who are made in his image. And at this point, finally, in this book, he says to John, it's done. It is done. I have redeemed everything. Redemption is complete. And then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The redemption is complete. He has this. He is claiming his eternal sovereign reign, the Alpha and the Omega. And then he says, I'm the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. That he's able to meet the deepest of human needs. 
It's not just that people are, Jesus isn't being like, hey, if you're thirsty, I'll give you some water. That's not what, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I can meet every need. I will meet the deepest need that you have. How can I do that? Because I am the Alpha and the Omega. Because I am the beginning and the end. I am able to meet the deepest human need. So move forward to the last chapter of the Bible. Which I feel like if you're ever discouraged, maybe just sit down and read this chapter. There's a lot of chapters like that. You can read Romans 8, you can read Isaiah 40, Psalm 23. There's a lot of chapters. But this is the, uh, the end of the story here. Where do we start? Okay, I'm just going to do verse 12 here. So, verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. This is Jesus talking. And he says, My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So to give to everyone according to Jesus is coming back to do what? I'm coming soon. I'm coming back to judge. To give to everyone according to what he has done. Which should cause uh, fear for everyone. For the unbeliever, fear of judgment. That your sin will be judged. That Jesus is coming to judge your sin. And there are only two groups of people in the Bible. There are those who sin is judged and they have no mediator. They have no redeemer. They have no hope. Those people are judged to hell. And then there are those who have sin and their sin is judged, but the judgment of that sin goes on to Jesus. And we look to the cross and we say, Christ died for my sin. I'm guilty of all of my sin, but Christ is my redeemer. And all of the guilt that I am duly uh, uh, that I should duly bear, he bore for me, and I trust in him. And those people are called believers, Christians, the saved, the redeemed. There are only two groups. And so when he says, I come to give to everyone according to what he has done, those who call upon the name of the Lord have rejected any effort to save themselves and have brought on the only means of salvation, which is calling upon and faith in the risen Christ, that he died for my sins on the cross and that he rose from the dead and he will never die again. And you don't have to understand everything and every single iota of Christian theology to be saved. This is why Jesus said the disciples are sitting around and they're all learning and walking with Jesus and, and he brings the child to him and says, unless one of you comes to me like this child, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, we were just telling the little rabble to get away because they're like bugging us. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't you send the children away from me. A five-year-old, if you've ever talked to a five-year-old, man, they're deep. They can understand that they're sinners. They can feel the weight of their own sin and their rejection from their creator. And they can understand that and say, I understand that. I've, I've like disobeyed my parents. I've done things that are, that are contrary to what God says is right and good and best. What do I do? I feel guilty. Ah, feeling guilty is a really good place to be when Jesus is in town, right? Because I can take my guilt and I can say, instead of being guilty, I'm going to now turn to you. I'm going to recognize that I'm a sinner. And I'm going to turn to the only one who says he can save me. And that is Jesus. It's the same Jesus in Revelation. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and he is able to save anyone who calls upon his name, who confesses their sin and asks him to save them. 
you will be saved. And if you've never done that, if you're hearing all these words today and you're like, who is this guy Jesus? I hear about him on the radio or whatever. It is Jesus who comes to save mankind. This is the end of this story. When he says it is done, he's come to seek and to save the lost. And if you have never put your faith in him, you're lost and he is seeking you and he calls you by name to himself. So he says, my reward is with me. This is the great hope of the believer, right? Jesus sees what we do and he will reward us. If I was to tell my 10-year-old, I'm gonna reward you. He would probably think I'm gonna like get him a candy bar, okay? Which for him, it would be great. He's like, sweet. So if I, if I do them, I want you to, we're gonna do these things. I need help doing the yard. If you like clear this flower bed out, I will reward you. He's like, oh, this is awesome. And instead of a candy bar though, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy you Disney World. He would be like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's yours. I bought it for you. Thanks for helping. That is the kind of, if, if, if that is the jump that I can conceive of, think about what God's reward will be. He is infinite, eternal, mighty, the Alpha and the Omega. He is limitless. What kind of reward will he give his faithful servants? A really good one. I don't know what, but good. And you can trust that it will be greater and more wonderful than anything that you can possibly imagine. Because as you die to yourself here, you store up treasure in heaven. And he will reward you for what you've done. So that when you are faithful, he sees it. When you were tempted and you choose to walk with him, he sees it. When you were frustrated at your spouse and you're like, Lord, I'm gonna bow the knee of my heart to you and I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to walk by faith in this, he sees it. When you are tempted to do evil and you choose to do good in the power of the spirit, he sees it and he will reward you. Then he says this in verse 13. And this is really interesting because he says all three things. Remember in chapter one, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and who is and who is to come. And then Jesus comes back and says, I am the first and the last. And in 21, he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But he ties all three of those things together here. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning, and the end. There are several I am statements in, in John. John's very, it's very familiar if you read John and in Revelation. This is the really big one. I am, it is the quintessential statement of who Jesus is. The Alpha and the Omega. It is about his existence and authority outside the limiting purview of creation. Jesus is not limited by any of that. When he says that I am the Alpha and the Omega, he has absolute authority outside the limits of creation. You and I can say and think lots of things. We cannot exert authority outside of the created world. How would that even happen? You could have the greatest philosophers in all of history thinking about that, and there's no answer to that question. Because you and I cannot exist outside of the created world because we're part of it. Even in death, we're still part of the creation. Jesus, as the Alpha and the Omega, exists and has authority outside of the limiting parameters of creation. You understand that? He is not bound by space. He is not bound by time. He is not bound by all the limitations that bind us as humanity. None of it. He says, I'm the first and the last. 
Jesus is both the cause and the goal of history. I am the first. He started everything, and I am the last. I will be at the end of everything. I am both the cause and the goal of all of history. Humans look back on history and try to figure out what has happened. Try to explain it. Try to see all these things. Why is this going on? How do we not? The reality is that Jesus is the entire sum of the reason for human history. That's it. When it says Christ is all, it means that he is all. Everything that is, is Jesus. He says Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and the last alphabet of the Greek alphabet, by the way. It's like him saying the A and the Z. The first and the last. And finally, the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end. That he finishes what he begins. Jesus always finishes what he begins. Unlike me, I start a bazillion things that I don't finish. Just ask Jenny. I have lots of great intentions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this. I'm going to plan this. I'm going to write this. I'm going to do this. I start lots of things. I finish very few. Why? Because I'm limited. I have limitations. I get distracted. Uh, some, somebody gets sick. I forget. I, uh, I have to do something else. Car breaks down. I mean, the number of things that keep all of us from doing all the stuff that we think we should do is, it feels like it's infinite. It's enormous. I feel like most of our lives are just spent fixing things that break, especially if you've got four kids. So, and stuff that just breaks because stuff breaks, because the wind blows and the tree falls down or whatever. Somebody gets sick. Jesus has none of those limitations. And so he always finishes what he begins. Well, how are, the, how are these things a comfort to us? Well, if Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, he has existence and authority outside of the limiting uh, parameters of creation, why is that a comfort to me? How? Because I need someone who is outside of this giant mess. I don't need someone who's sitting there next to me saying, I will give you eternal power. And No! I need the one who's not part of this thing, who's not engaged in the brokenness. I don't need some leader to tell me he'll fix stuff. I need a God who tells me he will make it right and that he will correct all the wrong that has ever happened and that he will complete the redemptive work that he began. I need someone outside the system to save me, which is the picture of Jesus. Humanity needed someone outside of their system. And he became one of us so that he could redeem all of us. And so I can rest in the reality that he is the Alpha and the Omega. So this morning, uh, if you were awake early or maybe you were asleep and the rain came through and woke you up, it kind of like went shot straight through the metro. It was early, it was still dark when it was raining. And then um, I went outside right after the, uh, the storms had passed and our house looks east. So the sun was rising. I don't know what time it was, whatever the time the sun rose today. And the, the storms were over here to the right. They're, they're done. They're past. And the sun is rising, and the storm has passed, and there's all these super cool clouds, like, over the top, and this light shining. It was just, I just sat out there for about 10 minutes, and I just worshipped. Why? Because it was really pretty. Like, it was awesome. You just look out there, and there's this, all these colors, and there's this cloud up above. Literally looks like pink cotton candy. Unbelievable. And I realize, I fully know that those are little water droplets, and it's like refracting the light that comes off the sun. I get it. But don't let science ruin the wonder. So science should actually drive us to wonder. 
And so to look at this and say, wow, that I can understand that, that this is coming in this refracting light and I'm seeing this different a spectrum of the light that's coming out of the sun. Glory to God. And I sat out there and it's like the, the, there is a beginning to the storm and there is an end, right? There is a beginning to all things and there is an end. Jesus is saying, I am the beginning and I am the end. And you exist somewhere in me. There is nothing that exists that is outside of Jesus. That is who he's saying that he is. Not only is he the cause and the goal of history, he is the orchestrator of all of it. This is not just, Jesus isn't just sitting here waiting and saying, okay, I think when things get right, I've got this day, I'm a planner, I'm going to do this stuff, I'm going to try to save the world, I'm going to try to make it new. I'm no. He will make this happen. So when he says that he is the beginning and the end, that he will finish what he starts, that if you have ever put your faith in Jesus to save you, that he will finish that work. Do you not need the encouragement of knowing that today when I'm, I'm full of brokenness and I'm not doing well and I'm full of all the things that humans struggle with, that Jesus who said, I will finish the work I started in you, that he will do it. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus and been redeemed, you will be in glory forever with him and with me. Why? Because he is the alpha and the omega. Not because you are awesome, because you're not. You're a fallen, broken human in absolute need of redemption. And if all of us and every human that has ever lived worked really hard to live a perfect life, it would be a giant pile of steaming poo in front of the Lord. That's how much it's worth. Because he is infinitely majestic, infinite glory, infinite everything. He is the omni, omni of everything. He is the first and the last. And there is no getting around his glory and his might and his holiness. And the only way to know him is if he saves us and brings us to himself. So why is that encouraging? Man, because I have to have someone else helping me. I can't make myself better. I can't. Have you seen the self-help sections in Barnes & Noble or wherever? Or just go to any bookstore. Notice something about that. It's full of books and the books are always different. And they keep writing new books about self-help. If they work, why do they have to keep writing new books? If the first self-help book worked, why do you have to write a second one? If the second one worked, why did you? And on and on and on and on and on to the millions of self-help books of humans saying, we can solve our problem. We can't. Why? Because we are not the Alpha and the Omega. There is only one. And it is Jesus himself talking to John, his dear and beloved friend. And he is saying, I am coming. My reward is coming with me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then as we see at the end of this book, we're starting in verse 16, I, Jesus, man, what a name. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. This is the great invitation. The great invitation from God to humanity is come. Come to him. Do you see what it says? Let him who hears say, come. Have you heard? Find someone who doesn't know and tell them, come to Jesus. 
the Spirit and the bride, which is the church, say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him do what? Come. And what will they get? The free gift of the water of life. It's salvation. If you have never trusted in Christ for your salvation, there is no reason whatsoever that you cannot bow your knee before him today and turn to him and be saved. He's calling you to himself to come. It is the call of the church. It is the call of the spirit. It is the call of the Lord Jesus himself. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Submit to me and surrender to me, and you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Only the Alpha and Omega can redeem us, and only he can save us. So there's a book, if you've never read it, it's called The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis. It's the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia and you're grown up and you think it's a kid's book, just read it. Some of the best things you'll ever read. Uh, the movies are good. The books are better. And I just encourage everyone to read them. Every believer, every human on the planet should read these books. Anyway, there's my um, unbiased uh, opinion. So, at the end of the book, all these things have happened and the four Pevensey children are moving into Aslan's country. And it says, as soon as they found themselves all walking together in a great high, bright procession it was, up towards mountains higher than you could see in this world, even if they were there to be seen. But now there was no snow on these mountains. There was forest and green slopes and sweet orchards and flashing waterfalls, one above the other, going up forever. And the land they were walking on grew narrower all the time with a deep valley on each side. And across that valley, the land, which was the real England, grew nearer and nearer. And the light ahead was growing stronger. And Lucy saw that a great series of many-colored cliffs led up in front of them like a giant's staircase. And then she forgot everything else. Because Aslan himself was coming. Leaping down from cliff to cliff like a living cataract of power and beauty. I'm going to skip a paragraph about puzzle because it won't make sense if you haven't read the book. And Aslan looks to them and says, you do not yet look so happy as I meant you to be. <laughs> and Lucy said, we are so afraid of being sent away. Aslan, you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leapt with a wild, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Lewis could write that because he knew the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is not the end of your story. This is the title page 
That's it. What God is writing in your life right now is just the beginning of a life that will go on forever and ever and ever. And every day will be better than the next. Do you believe that? Because that is what is true. And so when I say the Alpha and the Omega, I want the enormity of that name and who it represents, our Lord Jesus, to overwhelm you. He is all things. So let's pray. Lord, we love you and come to you. I can't even believe that I can talk to you and that you hear me right now, but you do. We are frail and we are but dust, but we are precious to you. And so I come to you based on the preciousness that you have given us in the risen Savior. And I thank you for who you are, that you are the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end that in you all of our hopes and all of our sadness and all of our grief and all of our everything can be overwhelmed and consumed by who you are. And that you have not only, Lord Jesus, told us this, but you have indwelled us by the Holy Spirit to empower us with your very self that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in this brief time when we walk, as C.S. Lewis called it, in the shadow lands, where we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, there will be a time when we will come to you and we will no longer walk by faith. And we will only walk by sight at the face of Jesus. But until that time comes, Lord, remind us of who we are, that we were made for a a far country, a greater country, another place where tears and sadness are not the language of our time, where they will cease and where death will cease, and where grief will cease. Lord, would you help us bring our hearts to you this morning as we respond to you in worship. Help us respond to worship the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who will complete your redemptive arc in history and in our lives. You tell us to come. Help us come to you now and worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
says so go put aside all the excuses that you make to not come to the Lord if you're a believer read your word read his word I mean read your Bible pray spend time getting engaged in community do it lay aside the excuses at the enormity of who he is and come to him who calls you to himself and experience a little taste now of what awaits us in eternity when the Alpha and Omega will make all things new and go 